This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm the producer, Abram Nanny. Thanks for listening. We aren't live today, so we won't be taking any calls. Instead, to close out the year, we're going to re-air some phone calls from throughout 2023. We've talked about a lot of things this year, from the smallest ants undergrounds up to the mighty Mississippi black bears. Thank you to our expert guests for informing us this year, and a special thank you to our wonderful hosts, Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and Kevin Farrell. If you have any questions or comments, email animals at mpbonline.org. We're replaying Creature Comforts 2023 here on MPB Think Radio. So, uh, good morning, Dr. Major. Got a question coming your way from Kevin in Biloxi. Kevin, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. I have a 14-year-old miniature schnauzer who, because of, because of illness, we had to board her with some friends barge for the last six months. Needless to say, her hair is all grown up and completely matted on her underside. And her nails are just horrendously long. She will need to be sedated to have her nails cut and to get all this mat off of her stomach. How can I do that safely? I mean, she is 14 years old. She lives a sedentary lifestyle. And I'll, I'll hang up and use the book later. I guess one question I have before you hang up is uh, basically, does she have any health problems that you know of? Uh, she has no health problems that I know of. They have not kept her vaccines up. That's the first thing I need to do. Would you recommend vaccines and then shaving or shaving and then vaccines? You know, I think the main thing here would be certainly caution to be careful. Have you sedated her before to have her nails done? I've had I've had her sedated. Um, I've had her sedated at one of her groomers years ago, but she's never had to be sedated. But these nails, these nails are they're starting to cut into her back. I understand. Okay, thank you for the question. Uh, certainly, I understand what you're saying. It's difficult in a dog this age. One of the drugs that's used is called ACE Prolazine. It's a mild tranquilizer, and uh, certainly uh, possibly would take enough of the edge off where this could be done. The other is the mats are severe, uh, which sounds like they may be, and nails also are cutting into the pads. Uh, it may be wise to take her to your vet and have him use a uh, basically an injectable sedation that can be reversed. Uh, one of the ones that's used primarily is Dextomator, and uh, they can give that, do what needs to be done, and then there's a reversal for that where she will be uh, up and around in just a short period of time. You wouldn't suggest like Benadryl or something like that before even? Well. Have you tried Benadryl before? Uh, certainly Benadryl, usually one milligram per pound, certainly could be used. You can see how that would do as far as taking the edge off, okay? Uh, okay. Thank you. Still, still, you want to be careful with the dog her age, though, but she does need help, it sounds like. So 
best of luck with that, and uh, certainly consult with your vet about it if, if there's any doubt. You take care. Thank, Thank you. you. So let's invite Kevin, who's called in from New Albany. Good morning, Kevin. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, hey man, I've got a English Bulldog. She's a white version of the English Bulldog. She's starting to get the side flank alopecia, how they kind of lose their hair on their, on their flank. Uh, what what is what can I do other than melatonin to give to her? Because she already sleeps all the time, so um, I would think melatonin would make her sleep more. Probably, probably that's a great question, and it does occur in certain certain of the breeds. Uh, boxers, for example, are very it's very common there. Usually, it's seasonal. I'm sure you've researched some. Is it affecting both sides? Uh, no, it's just one side, actually. Just one side. And uh, experience has been seasonal and usually will go away after, even though she's probably inside, what, 90% of the time, uh, it still seems to be a seasonal uh, type thing. The melatonin uh, may help. I don't know, but it may make her drowsy. You said she sleeps a lot anyway. But uh, how old is this dog? She's 11. Okay, okay. And normally, I think those guys don't normally make it to 11. Well, that's remarkable. She sounds like she's in pretty good shape. Um, the other thing would be certainly to have your vet look at that if you haven't already, um, just to make sure there's nothing uh, uh, that you know can be applied or can be done to help it. Does it appear to be very itchy? Does she scratch it? It doesn't. Right, right. It started the the early summer. Since I by the pool, the only thing I have to do I have to spray sunscreen on it, or it gets burned. Right, I understand. My guess is that it will start to go away as as seasons uh, go back, days get shorter. But uh, maybe you can report back to us sometime late fall and tell us how it is. But okay. that's been, been our experience that it does seem to uh, dissipate as we get more into the closer to winter. I got you. All right, guys. Thanks. Good luck with that. Thank you. Dr. Major, we've got a call coming to you now. This one comes from Christy in Memphis. Good morning, Christy. You're on the air. What do you have for Dr. Major? Hi. How are you? Thank you. Um, I have a dog, a red healer mix, about 10 years old, and she has cataracts in both eyes. I'm concerned because um, I wondered whether or not cataract surgery for dogs uh, was as successful as it is with humans, and if there's anything that I need to watch out for um, or be concerned about before getting the surgery. Also, I wondered if I could get one eye done instead of both as it's so horribly expensive. Thank you. You know, this, this is great questions, and I appreciate your call. First of all, uh, I would ask you, have you had your veterinarian check your dog as far as the uh, situation is concerned? Yes, uh, yes. And she and does you, not do surgery, so she would right, refer right. me. Yep. Certainly, and you've got some, uh, at least a couple of specialty clinics in uh, Memphis, and uh, certainly they would be able to give you the exact idea of what they can do. In most cases, they want to do both eyes. I 
hesitate telling you that, but in most cases they do. They use very similar uh, techniques that are used in humans, and uh, I'd say the success rate, depending on who you talk to, is pretty good. And uh, we've had several dogs here that have had the surgery and um, has improved their vision and seems to work well. But there are other complications that can happen, certainly glaucoma. This, I'm talking about before surgery, glaucoma, retinal degeneration. So you need to have your dog checked by a specialist and then uh, let them advise you on the best course of action. I hope All that right. helps Thank you, you very okay. much. Thank you. Thank you. Got another caller on the line, so we say good morning to our friend Rachel from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. It's your turn. Go ahead. Good morning. So I would like to know our uh, two experts' opinions about uh, baby animals given to uh, children at Easter time, bunnies and baby ducks and baby chicks. What are the pros and cons? And in my mind, it's just cons, but I'll, I'll leave it up to the experts to have the last word. All right. Uh, Dr. Major, why don't you comment on that first? You know, that's a very, uh, what should I say, for some people it's a difficult question. I personally don't recommend it uh, as far as the uh, bird, the chickens or ducks or, uh, I guess, rabbits possibly. These things need to be, if, if you're going to do, uh, if you're going to have baby animals like that, uh, you need to think about it and not necessarily do it at, at Easter time. I would suggest that there's a better time and place and to be better prepared also. I'd say the large majority of these little animals probably uh, expire. They don't make it. And uh, I just don't recommend it for Easter. Libby, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's what I would say, too. Uh, you know, a, a baby animal, If you're, I, I guess potentially if a family is already raising chickens or ducks and they get some new ones at Easter, it might not be terrible, but mostly, like, there's so many other things that are going on at Easter if they're dealing with their egg hunts and all that, because it's serious business to get a new animal into your home or your yard, so, um, I, I, you know, you, you just don't want it to be a, a, a three-day play thing. That's mm-hmm. not a good message to children. Yeah, I would agree. I think that that's uh, the case is that I, I would think that the novelty might wear off very quickly. And then you're stuck with the reality of having to d- take care of, of, a, of a somewhat exotic creature that's not kind of like a cat or dog that we're so, all sort of used to taking care of. So um, I think it's. Doc- yeah, I think it's always a, yeah, not a good idea to get an animal on a whim either any time of year. You know, like like Tori said, it has to be planned for and. The child has to be ready for that responsibility if they're going to really be involved. We've got another caller on the line, and so off to Moss Point we go. Tim has called in today. Good morning, Tim. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have an English Bulldog, a registered uh, English Bulldog puppy. Uh, He's six months old, and in doing my research on him, uh, AKC says that an adult male should weigh 50 pounds and an adult female 40 pounds. He's a, a female, I'm sorry, a male that's six months old. He already weighs 40 pounds. So I'm wondering, uh, uh, should I cut back on his feed? Uh, is that an appropriate way for, it up for a bulldog that's six, uh, six months old? And just what, what are the thoughts you might have, doctor? Yeah, those are some good questions. Uh, 
you know, there's a range of weights, and certainly I see some bulldogs that weigh in the 60-pound, 60 65-pound range. I'm talking about registered English bulldogs now. I would say the males usually are 10, 12 pounds heavier than the females. At this age, though, I would not cut back on the food. Um, he's going to grow to his whatever that weight is. You might talk to the breeder if you know the breeder and see what uh, their males weigh or male weighs just to get an idea. But I would not be alarmed if this dog weighed, say, 60, 65 pounds if he was in good shape. Okay, well, that's what I need to know. Thank you, mu- thank you much, doctor. To Gulfport we go. Rebecca is on the line. It's your turn, Rebecca. Go ahead. Good morning. I just wanted to let Libby know that her favorite little bird is back in my yard. My Chuck Will's widow is yelling its head off. Oh, my goodness. I hope he's not keeping you awake. <laughs> uh, it was 4 o'clock in the morning. That's he's, he's mostly vocal is when it's really early in the morning. <laughs> oh, no. So he is. Well, you know... Um, I've had several friends talk about theirs in the evening, but nobody but you has talked about them. That you've got an early bird. Well, they <laughs> they start about nine ten o'clock in the evening, and and they go through until four or five o'clock in the morning. I never heard them so during what the daytime. Only during the night. Yeah, yeah. You've got the the well, night Well, I drive a taxi. I'm up yeah, all I'm, hours. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then that maybe that suits you. Maybe that's your bird. Good yeah, luck. I got it. my bird back. I hope it finds a mate. I hope it has a mate. Got another call to get to. This one coming from Hazelhurst. We say good morning to Cecile. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is a question I'm thinking for Libby. Uh, a, tur- a box turtle laid eggs in my driveway last week. And I got cones and yellow tape and put around it so that nobody would run over it. I wanted to know if that was the right thing to do and how long before these eggs hatch and how will I know when they hatch. Okay. They it 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 takes a while for them to hatch. I know. So you if you can leave those cones there, I would imagine that's the best thing to do. And are you did you did you see them? Are you sure it's box turtles? I did see the turtles. Yeah. Uh, I was walking the dog, and he started sniffing, and we found the turtle, and I made him leave, but I could tell, I mean, she had dug out the hole, and she was sitting or whatever they're doing in it, and uh, then later, I went back to look where she had been, and it looked different, you know, she had like a, a dam around part of it, anyway. Yeah, yeah sounds like she's left you some eggs. Yeah. Well, if you can possibly um, cordon it off like that and give it some time, there is a, a turtle rehab center here in central Mississippi that's just, they're great people and they do a lot of rehab. They would probably give you some tips. I don't have the name right here. If you leave your contact information, I'll send you information from them. Libby. About what they suggest. Do you do you have their number, Troy? No, no I don't have their number. I was going to suggest, and I've done this before. I would take some mm-hmm. uh, fairly, not chicken wire, but some fairly heavy wire and make a circle around it if you haven't already. 
to try to prevent any predators from digging those eggs up. They can oh. actually detect where they are. The other thing, yeah. it may sometimes there, there's evidence. I did the, had the same thing happen at, at my house in a flower bed, and I would suggest um, that they may take as long as a year. They can actually overwinter. Those eggs can overwinter, so it may take quite a while uh, to box turtle. But uh, certainly uh, try to protect the site from from dogs or raccoons or other other type predators that might dig those eggs up. Uh, Libby, before we jump on to head to the uh, message about bears, uh, we have a caller that has, I think, a firefly-related question or comment. So let's say good morning to Lori calling in from Indianola this morning. Lori, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes. Um, Libby. Yes. We try, we've tried to get um, tickets or in on the tours at uh, Wild Oxy, and um, they said that, it was handled by Eventbrite, and that all the tours were full for all three oh, days. Goodness. So I was wondering if, if we drive up there, uh, can we just look around or possibly get on a tour? Um, I tell you what, call Waldoxy State Park and ask them, because they were talking about this earlier, a couple of days ago, we were involved in the interest was greater than they had assumed at Wild Oxy, and evidently there are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of people that wanted those tickets, and Paul and I are going to be there right. to talk to everybody that shows up. You know, you're caught between the rock and the hard place. We want everybody to be able to get in that, that possibly can, but you don't want to have so many people that nobody gets to see them. So... Uh, Call the park and see what's happening. Uh, I know that uh, right now they have three nights, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, That doesn't mean that they'll stop blinking. They'll still be there, and I can tell you all about it remotely if you need me to uh, so that you could go on your own another day and see them there. Because uh, they'll be good for the next three weeks at Waldoxy, if that helps yeah. at all. We're off to Boonville next, and as Barbara's, it's uh, Barbara's turn. So good morning, Barbara. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I got this question. If y'all got any information, we got a skunk that's uh, boring a hole under our garage. And uh, we'd like to know if y'all have any information how to get rid of it. Libby, let's uh, give you first crack at that one. Oh, gosh. That's what I was... Um, I've had trouble with that myself at times, um, and I honestly don't know how to get rid of skunks particularly. Um, I know you want to do it carefully, and um, I guess one of the things you got to – do you think there are any babies under there? My husband has put a electric fence around it, but he ain't got it hooked up yet. We don't know if that'll work or not to get it scared off. Yeah. I don't know. It'd have to be low enough. Uh, you know, you could fill in the burrow and things like that, but you don't want to do that if there are babies in there. So um, I don't know if you can listen and tell. I need to do some research for you. I'm sorry. I'm not prepared for skunks. Um, one thing to always I know they remember. can be dissuaded. Yeah, Troy, you, what have you got? Yeah, one thing to always remember, they're, they're there for a food source close by. Uh, they uh, eat primarily mice and other rodents. Uh, they're kind of opportunists. They probably eat some large insects as well. 
But uh, I would say that uh, they're there because of a food source. Uh, if you have food outside for dogs or cats or chickens, I think it'd be wise to take that away, uh, at least for now. The other thing would be to seek some professional help. There mm-hmm. probably are some uh, professional uh well, we lost Dr. Major. We'll get him back on the line in just a minute. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, that uh, I think he was going to say, Barbara, that there are professionals, critter catchers and that sort of thing. So maybe if you were to go online and do a search for, I don't know, what maybe what phrase do you think would be the best to try to generate some results? Um, probably critter catchers. And, you know, um, Mike McDowell's coming on our show next week. We'll be sure and ask him about skunks, but she probably doesn't want to live with it for another week. So, yeah, Barbara, that would that would be our suggestion. Maybe go online, see if you can find something. And yeah. then, again, uh, we'll have something next week. So if you're still around next Thursday, tune in and see if we could give you any additional information. So we appreciate uh, your call. Go ahead, Libby. The complication, of course, is the spraying. Uh, if right. it's an armadillo or a raccoon, we catch them in a live trap and, you know, move them to a more suitable habitat. But with the skunk, that's so hard to release it once you catch it. So um, I, I, I think you have to use some different techniques with that. I'll do some reading. If I find something before the end of the show, I'll do it. Otherwise, uh, she might want to check back next week, and we'll talk to the critter catcher. Rebecca has called in today. Good morning, Rebecca. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. How are y'all doing? We're doing good. What do you have for us today? Yes, I I had a reply from, for Miss Libby. Um, I had asked her last week about two uh, white water birds that I had found, and I couldn't find enough information online. And so I looked in my Audubon uh, bird book, and Good. I figured out from that that the closest thing I could figure out was to see for juvenile snowy egrets. Oh, there was, yes, there were two, they're beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are two of them. And 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 your death. I I had forgotten about the difference in the beak of the stork versus egret. They definitely had an egret beak. But um, but I was I was looking on Wikipedia, and it says that uh, that Mississippi. It looks like that Mississippi is in the breeding range for for these birds. But they're normally yes. um, they normally are not in this area. Yeah, um, you can see snowy egrets pretty much, I think, anywhere in the state, and they do breed here in rookeries. You, you know, uh, herons are one of the birds that, that all get together and make nests close together, usually um, over water. Mm-hmm. So they're, and they're beautiful birds. Uh, we always say that the snowy egret, the, uh, I think both the adults, I don't know how early they get those, but they wear golden slippers. And which oh. makes them, yes, showy, snowy egrets. And their feet will be a, a pretty golden orange. Well, they, see, their, their whole legs were yellow. That's why I was like, I, you know, it's, but then they, I, you know, I gather they change as they mature so that they have, like you said, the, the feet are yellow and the rest of it's black. Okay, so I so the babies have all orange. I've never read that. So you taught me something new today. So I'll I'll read a little more about those. I'm glad you're enjoying the snowy egrets. Well, thank you so much, and I enjoy the program. All right, uh, thanks for the phone call. Let's uh, move on. Staying on the phone lines. Next, we're going to go to Bude. Lewis has called in today. 
Good morning, Lewis. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. What do you have for us today? I, uh, I picked up a dog. It's a, a stray dog. I saw walking in a neighborhood I hadn't been seen. It's a hound. It's about, uh, I'm, I'm going to say about one and a half to two years old. Uh, it's real friendly. I've been having about about three weeks now. I'm wondering what kind of shots, uh, what kind of, you know, should I get from him? I, I have no idea of his uh, history. Right. Great questions. Uh, here's the thing that I would do. The dog. How, how old is the dog? I guess that's the question. I'm I'm saying he's probably Roughly. between one half and two. So he, he's a grown grown dog. Yes. You need to get shots. Basically, would involve distemper parvo. Uh, there's a shot that's given for that. Uh, a rabies shot. Uh, I would consult with your veterinarian about that. And the dog really needs to be checked for heartworms to see if it might have heartworms and also check for intestinal worms. A good general exam would be important, and I would say that those shots uh, would be what the dog needs. Okay? Uh, okay, thank you. Eugene has called in today. Go ahead, Eugene. You're on the air with us. Yeah, yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Say we had um, two cats in the house. Um, unfortunately, the older cat passed away. The younger cat kept marking in the bedroom my wife's uh, bed, I guess, the, the cover around the bed, she kept marking. Um, and then I noticed that after the old cat died, there was no, in the kitty litter box, she wasn't peeing anywhere. There was no pee balls, if you will. Right. How can I, how can I get the uh, younger cat to start using the kitty litter when she wheezes. Great. So she's still going in the bed, your bedroom or well, elsewhere rather than the litter box. We're, we're keeping her out of the bedroom with the door closed. Um, right. And to this day, it's been about a two weeks. I'm not sure where she's going, but it's, okay. it's not the kitty litter box. She okay. goes out every I'm, morning for 15 minutes or so and then comes back. I, I, so she, I truly have no idea. She may be urinating some outside. I would really try to find out where she's going inside, though. Uh, I would put another litter box. Uh, if you can find that place, put another litter box close to it. The other alternative would be to put her in a uh, when I say small area, I guess even, even a bathroom or a small area that you could put a litter box in and see if she will use it if she's confined. Uh, that would be important. But uh, had she been urinating in the box when the overcat was alive? I, I, I truly, I, I don't know whether she, she did or not. The older cat um, would um, urinate significantly. I mean, great big yes. balls. I would confine this cat to a small area with a litter box. Uh-huh. And also do some detective work, which uh, in my case, my wife's sense of smell would be a whole lot better than mine, and see if you can find those areas where she may be going. And then put the kitty litter box here there? Yes. Uh, And, of course, the old rule of thumb has always been one litter box per cat plus one. So I would say that definitely another litter box if you can find an area where she's been uh, urinating. Okay? Okay. All right. We'll give that a go. Thank you much. You take care. Thank you. We're going to Starkville. Steve has a question today. Good morning, Steve. You're on the air. 
Uh, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning, Steve. I'm, I'm calling in uh, about uh, my dog. His name is Chip. He's a Jack Russell Terrier, about nine years old. He was uh, extremely healthy, you know, really good weight, very muscular. And uh, I noticed over a course about two, three weeks, he stopped being active. And then he had rapid weight loss. He went from like 32, 33 pounds down to around 27. Um, loss of a lot of muscular um, density. And um, so took him to the vets. Uh, they did uh, radiographs on him. Couldn't find anything really physically wrong with him. Uh, but he continued to deteriorate. And I took him to the Starfold uh, MSU veterinary, and um, from there uh, they checked him for cancer, uh, negative on that, and they didn't really have an idea of what was wrong with him. Uh, ended up taking him to another clinic over in West Point where they did sonograms on him. Couldn't find anything wrong there. They took a uh, fluids from his joints and send that into the lab and they suspected it to be a tick-borne illness. So we were on a course of a lot of uh, pain relievers, uh, antibiotics, um, steroids. Uh, after the treatment for that, we took him back because he was still um, you know, down, wasn't recovering. Uh, I thought he was, you know, a couple of days from death when I actually took him in the last time. And they rechecked his blood work, and the only thing they can find is his white blood cell count is really high. So from there, they put him on a, an immunosuppressive. It's called uh, Atopica, 50 milligrams, and a steroid. And basically, that's keeping him going but he's not really improving much. So just follow and see if you have thoughts on that. Right. Yes, that's pretty complicated. I would say this. Uh, can you, do you remember any of the blood blood pictures, uh, blood work pictures, like what was the uh, platelet count? Do you remember that? Uh, uh, I'm sure. The white blood cell count, is that that's a number? The white blood cell count is different than the platelets. The platelets are uh, measured differently. The, what, do you remember how high the white blood cell count was? The, the highest, the which means the seventy-seven. Um, seventy-seven. The last, the last, last blood test he had was a week ago, and it was down to sixty-six. And that's sixty-six thousand white count. Yes, I, I think the normal range is, what, 7 to 14? That's close, but it was that high then, which uh, I'm still concerned about cancer based on that, even though they check him for cancer. and You know, you don't always find cancer, even if it's there. But uh, that's terribly high. What antibiotic is he on now? Uh, is he on doc doxycycline? He was on the doxycycline. But uh, when the blood test came back uh, negative for any illness uh, after right. being on the antibiotics, they took him off. And he's just now on, he's on the immunosuppressive and the steroid. Okay. 
but he is holding his own with that. But that white count is still tremendously high if it's in the 60,000. So, you know, I'm kind of at a loss how to advise you. Uh, I would say that I still, the first thing in my mind is still cancer. Uh, for it to be that high, which would be unusual for it to be that high with, say, a bacterial or type infection or even a tick-borne infection. Uh, gosh, I wish I could help you more. It sounds like you've gone through just about every every avenue, uh, and uh, I wish I could tell you who to go see or um, something else. I would still consider... <sighs> rechecking uh, that blood work again if you hadn't checked it in the last uh, two weeks uh, see what see what it's done now that he's on the steroids and the immunosuppressant and see what see what that shows I hope that they're on the right right track it, and I was asking about platelets because with an autoimmune disease do you remember what his hematocrit was? I guess I'm just trying to ask for information. His hematocrit would be your red blood cells. There, you know, there were so many numbers they put in front of me, yes. I can't call them all. But, uh, no, but, I do, do understand. I'm just concerned about either cancer or an autoimmune disease, and they're treating it now as it is like it is an autoimmune disease, so let's see how he responds to that. Be interesting to know what new blood work shows if he's been on the other medication for seven to ten days. If you get results on that, certainly uh, uh, they can give you my phone number. I don't mind talking to you more. Uh, but at the same time, I just wish you the best of luck. Sounds like everybody's stomped on the, on the issue right now. Off to Franklin County we go. Uh, Dr. Branton, uh, a vet, is on the line with the perspective on a previous call. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Okay. The dog named Chip with the high white cell count and the dropping platelet count, uh, thrombocytopenia is a medical term for that. I've had a number of customers go up in North Mississippi for football games and stay at campsites with their mobile uh camping trailer, and there are dogs would come back with a batazone canis, which is a tick-transmitted disease. It's very difficult to diagnose, and especially if the pet has been on steroids, cortisones, uh, pred, dexamethasone, what have you, and uh, PCR would be wonderful, but if you get a negative test, you sometimes don't stop there. You go for the muscle biopsy, and as long as it is, as it is a striated muscle, then, yes, muscle biopsy. But um, the, the treatment that I have found to be most effective is detox. It's a powder. It tastes like milk. You mix it in their food, and within a week or two weeks, a substantial improvement. There are several options on treatment, but I have found that that has the least side effects and the most success. Now, the problem with this particular disease, if it is that disease, 
is that it requires 18 to 24 months of treatment. That's twice a day, decox, calculated according to the pet's weight, mixed in its food. Uh, you will get a relapse if you, uh, if you skip a number of treatments, it, not just one or two. But if you do skip a number of treatments during that 18 to 24-month period, you will get a relapse. But I thought I might suggest that perhaps he might consider maybe putting the pet on decox trial or perhaps running another Buffy coat or PCR for hepatozone. That's E, excuse me, I'm going to spell it for you, H-E-P-A-T-O-Z-O-O-N and then canis. C-A-N-I-S, that's the name of the disease. The only way you can get that disease is eating a tick, not a tick biting your dog, like all the other tick-transmitted diseases. That's all i got to say. All right, uh, Dr. Branton, thanks for your call. Dr. Major, any thoughts on, on that call? That's a great, great description of the disease. Uh, we see some, and certainly they do have to stay on that medication for a long period of time. Um, it's, of course, he had been to Mississippi State. I'm not sure what tests they ran, and he wasn't sure exactly what that platelet count would be, but I suppose it would have been low. Um, and I certainly appreciate your call and giving us that information. Uh, that's certainly a part of the rule out and certainly would be one of the things that it could be. So thanks again for your call. All right, Dr. Major, here's another pet question for you. This one says, my cat is scared of going to the vet to the point that he just about goes feral. He's an inside cat and is good at home. Anything I can do to help ease trips to the veterinarian? Well, it's a great question. And we see that uh, not every day, but quite often. Uh, some cats just really uh, do not want to be removed from their home situation. And the trip to the vet, uh, a lot of times they will react and act almost feral, as the uh, person said. I would suggest uh, possibly using some gabapentin uh, for a couple of days prior to bringing the cat in and see if that will help. It does help in a lot of cases. You can break the capsule open and put it on the food. Uh, but it does help in some some cases. There are other cats that uh, really don't respond to that. Uh, I would hate to have to tranquilize them. We have a few cats that we actually use gas anesthesia uh, to be able to treat them properly, and that sounds like it's pretty over the top, but it saves the cat from getting so upset but also from technicians, myself, from getting scratched or bitten. So there are cats that really cannot be handled, so you have to take all that into consideration. I would try the gabapentin, though, because that may help. But obviously this is something that they would want to work out with their vet company because you just can't not go to the vet if you have a cat like that. (laughs) Right, and sometimes... Sometimes uh, it's a surprise for everybody. We've seen cats that, you know, you would think at home would be fine. And you get in the exam room, and we always close the doors. We've got a cat because we don't know exactly what might happen. And, uh, you know, I've gotten very reluctant in my 
older age, let's put it, to stick my hand in and try to pull a cat out of the carrier um, that doesn't want to go. But you can usually assess, and the owner usually can know if the cat's going to be okay. But I'd say that 90-plus percent of all cats are very, uh, what should I say, sociable and can be handled easily. There are some cats, though, that um, regardless of what you do, are going to not cooperate, or at least they're going to display feral-type tendencies, even though they may be an inside cat. With my cat, it seemed like at first he was awfully nervous, but it was almost like he got used to going. Is that a case probably where once the cat's been a couple of times, if he sees that he's been there and nothing bad has happened, that that might help him relax? In some cases, that's true. Otherwise, uh, some cats never change on that. I've got a few cats that I've known for years, and you just have to be careful. Uh, that's the basic baseline. And uh, some cats can inflict some pretty pretty severe wounds if you're not careful. Yes, those those are sharp claws and sharp teeth to go along with it, that's for sure. Absolutely. And, and a cat, think about this. Uh, as an athlete, if you will, Cats are very athletic, and they can move quickly, and they can, you've seen pictures or I've seen your cat slap maybe three or four times when you would do just once, so they're, they're quick, and uh, I would say that defensively, they can let you know where you stand. <laughs> Got a couple more pet emails for you, Dr. Major. This next one says, uh, I have two male dogs, a miniature dachshund, and a German Shepherd Doberman mix. Would it create a problem between the dogs as far as getting along and things like that if we had the dachshund neutered and not the German Shepherd? <laughs> well, you know, there's a great controversy about neutered and not neutered. I guess the question was, are they getting along now, or is this something that new as far as putting the dogs together? I guess it was that clear in the email? Uh, not necessarily, but the, I think the way it's written, it, it it does not sound like they are having any current issues. Right. I would see no problem with neutering both of them as far as that goes, but certainly uh, neutering one should not make any, any, any issue uh, with that if they're getting along at this point. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I'm understanding the question exactly. But, yes, you could go on and neuter uh, either either or, or both. And and I would say, from what I'm hearing you say, you, you would lean towards having them both neutered. Right, but there is some controversy uh, has to do with basically changing dogs' disposition, uh, making some, some issues maybe with uh, cancer. So these are all things that could be discussed with your veterinarian uh, prior to doing that. Uh, Here's an email for you, Dr. Major. This one says, my question is my cousin gave me her dog just to keep for her as a puppy. She never came to get the puppy back, which was about two and a half years now. She's never been worked. So what is the best? I'm sorry. She's never been wormed. So what is the best wormer and worm treatment I can give her uh, to be safe from heartworms and roundworms? Well, so, you know, technically it's your dog now. Uh, it's, it's not your sister's dog if she hadn't come back in two and a half years. You really need to go to your vet, have the dog checked for heartworms and for intestinal worms, and be, actually put the dog on or preventive. Um, might be difficult uh, over the counter. There's really no good over the counter uh, recommended heartworm preventive. Uh, certainly, there are some intestinal worm type 
medications that you could do. But I would suggest checking with your veterinarian and have this puppy checked out. I guess it's a grown dog now. Have it checked out and be sure that you can uh, start it on a preventive that will work, and hopefully the dog has not got heartworms at this present time. But if in the case it were, then you would treat the the existing sort of infection, and then. But as you said, it's important whatever the outcome to get on that pre- for preventional medicine. Right, right, and take take your recommend the recommendation of your veterinarian. I think that would be most appropriate. All right, very good, Doctor Major. We do have a couple of emails here. This first one uh, says, "How do you suggest converting a six-month-old Shih Tzu from paper training to using the bathroom outside?" She unfortunately is home alone during the day in a gated area with a puppy pad. Until recently, she'd use the puppy pad, move it from the original location, and tear up the pad, leaving a pool of urine, etc., in the original location. We feed her in the morning and in the afternoon, leaving a bowl of water for her during the day. I take her out early in the morning when I go to pick up the newspaper and when I get home in the evenings. As a puppy, she seems to be more interested in playing or watching what's going on around her than using the bathroom. Also, should we be feeding our six-month puppy twice a day or converting her to once a day? Okay, great questions. Uh, we'll answer the last one first. I would say still continue to feed twice a day. Um, and if you want to convert a little bit later on, say at 8, 10, 12 months, you can go to once a day. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's kind of a rule of thumb of mine. But uh, I think she's probably a little bit young to go in and go to once a day. As far as the house training, um, this gets to be a problem when you're gone during the day. You know, that thing of tearing up the uh, pee pad or whatever you want to call it, the, that, that's very typical of a puppy. They get bored and they will do it and just shred it a lot of times and move it. Uh, I suggest that you go online and look uh, at crate training, uh, C-R-A-T, using a hard-sided crate, a kennel big enough for her, uh, rather than let her have the run of the room that you've got her in right now. Uh, consistency is important, and it is difficult when you have uh, a puppy that's, you know, you're gone during the day. Uh, there may be some uh, listeners that have good ideas about what to do, but the crate training does work, and in most cases, a puppy six months old can wait that long before going out. It would be great to have somebody come and take a puppy out at lunch or noon rather than leaving it all day regardless of where it is. So uh, with the crate training, is the idea that you're giving the dog their own little space, and since it's their private area or whatever, they don't want to mess it up by going to the bathroom in it? And that is usual. Not every dog will uh, honor that, but I would say that a large percentage will wait until they go outside. It's harder for them to hold their urine uh, than it is uh, defecation. But uh, there are some excellent articles online about crate training, and I think it would be good to look at those and uh, utilize some of the ideas there. Thank you for catching this special hour of Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We appreciate you tuning into the show throughout the year of 2023. Listen next Thursday morning at 9 to hear Creature Comforts live from 2024. Up next is our Thursday 10 a.m. show, Autocorrect, followed by Southern Remedy Kids and Teens at 11. 
We've had a good year here. So for our guests, our hosts, Kevin Farrell, Dr. Troy Major, and Libby Hartfield, and producers, myself and Java Chapman, I'm Abram Naney, wishing you a happy new year and happy holidays from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We'll be right back.